animations are this really black magic, I think, to most people because, well, we'll get to that. Cassie Evans, welcome to the show. You are a developer at Greensock. Greensock is a really interesting company because I would say the website looks a bit retro for today's standards, but all the examples are like really cool stuff. So I'm really excited to deep dive into these things of animations. I think what we should start with before we get to this black magic of animations is how you got started in programming, how you got to where you are today. And I don't want to sound caveat, but so many Americans, when they hear like British people talk about how they get into coding, sometimes it's so different. Like we learn in school, we self-teach, no boot camps, unless you learn in the last year. (laughs) Yeah, I think the fact that you paused before saying developer. It's a good intro to this because yeah, I I would term myself as a creative developer. I've heard front-end web development nowadays being divided into the front of the front-end and the back of the front-end. Creative development is like the front of the front of the (laughs) front-end. That's kind of where I am doing animation. I initially did design and motion graphics at a little agency. Just kind of gradually got into coding through doing banner ads. I did banner ads for a while, then kind of decided that I wanted to break out of the restraints of the little tiny boxes of ads and (laughs) make bigger websites. And then got involved with Codebar, which I'd happily chat about. That's a whole podcast in itself. So yeah, I guess got in from the design side of things. Yeah, I have no idea what code bar is. I'd be curious to get just kind of a a short little description of like, what is that? (laughs) You'll have to stop me because I'll ramble. Code bar is like a non-profit. It's all over the world at the moment. It started, I think it started in America, maybe in England, not sure. But it's a non-profit that is focused on helping get more diverse people into tech. In Brighton, I started going along to Code Bar Brighton to learn how to code Um, and then the organizers moved on they got different jobs and I ended up running it for about three years yeah we threw weekly workshops teaching people how to code and you kind of do pair programming so you get paired up with another like local developer so you get a bit of a mentoring vibe as well which is really nice I think the tech scene in the UK is so interesting. It's also really funny because the UK is such a small country. We're still so densely populated compared to, say, America. But then your experiences of like going to this charity, teaching how to code, there's nothing like that where I live only 300 miles upwards. But that's because I live in Farmers County. Probably you'd call that Ohio in America. Make a lot of potatoes. That's where we are. Well, I am. It's this really interesting thing where these banners that you're talking about, where you're talking about like your classic bootstrap website and it's like a hero banner kind of banner, or you do mean more like advertisement banners on like Google. Banner ads is, I guess that's industry talk for ads. You probably don't know about that because everyone has ad blockers and no one sees them. So I was just creating little terrible advertising boxes with code (laughs) at an agency. But it was fun because we got to do animation, but also you're kind of working for the ad world and nobody's seeing your work. So that's the downside. It's a curious question. How do them ads work? Is it HTML? Is it CSS? Is it SVGs? Or is it Flash? Well, it used to be Flash probably. I started off making 
those ads with HTML and CSS. And then I kind of gradually got a little bit too over-enthusiastic with the animation that I was trying to do and couldn't do it feasibly with CSS anymore. Just around that time, Google allowed GreenSock to be used. They added it to their CDN. So you could use GreenSock and banner ads without adding to the, the weight of the banner size because banners have to be under a certain number of kilobytes. So that's kind of how I got into GreenSock was three banner ads. That's interesting you say that you were going beyond what CSS could do. Because I know there's some people who are very big on the vanilla CSS train. They're like, you can just use CSS for everything. You don't need CSS libraries or frameworks or anything like that. But it sounds like animation is an area where it's going to just be pushed too far. Where does it hit limits? Like where does CSS break down for animation? There's quite a few things, really. I think the main thing is that you don't have timelines with CSS. You can't create sequenced animations. You can kind of fake sequences of animations with delays. So you can create one animation with some keyframes on an element and say it's three seconds long. You can create another keyframe block and you could give that animation a three second delay. And then the second one would start after the first one finishes. But once you start trying to do that for six, seven, eight different elements, it gets incredibly knotty very quickly. And another thing is that you can't separate out transforms. Transforms have a stacking order in CSS. It matters which order you add rotations and translations. Whereas with GreenSock and some other JavaScript libraries, you can animate transforms separately, which is really helpful. We've quickly just spoken about GreenSock and CSS, but I think it's worth to take animation to abstract it higher in terms of web. It's hard to realize sometimes, but there's many different ways to do animation. The most common one that I know of and I've used and we've all probably used is keyframe, as you said, about either just looping an animation in CSS or changing the opacity, changing the size. That's your keyframe CSS animation. But then what you tend to see, and this is what I'm guessing is like GreenSock is more using JavaScript to manipulate an SVG. Is that correct? No. <laughs> no? Not even slightly. <laughs> it can. You can use GreenSock. SVG animation. To animate SVGs, yeah. A big difference between GreenSock and CSS is CSS, you can use it to animate DOM elements, HTML elements, also SVG elements. It's a little trickier with CSS and SVG because SVG is a little unreliable cross-browser with CSS animation. So you can get kind of into tricky cross-browser bug situations quite easily. GreenSock animates anything. It's like a high performance property manipulator. So you can use GreenSock to animate HTML DOM or you can use it to animate SVG and it fills in a lot of the cross-browser inconsistencies for you. But you can also use it to animate Canvas or WebGL pretty much anything you can think of shaders 3js all the things it animates everything okay so like i thought i thought i knew how all this work is like yes that's animations and you had javascript manipulating stuff to make animations what is greenstock then is it a, just a javascript library that is polyfilling abstracting all these other things into a consistent library then on its highest level gsap is the library GreenSock is the company. GSAP, it's a property manipulator. So it's not really polyfilling things. It is changing 
properties, like tweening properties. In HTML land or CSS land, it is creating matrix transforms. It's basically doing inline transform animations, like inline CSS animations. Whereas if you're talking about Canvas or WebGL or 3JS kind of stuff, it would just be updating numbers because that's all WebGL and Canvas and stuff is. It would just be updating properties, but they'd be within JavaScript objects. Let's take an example of the sandboxes on the Green Talk website. It's just a simple low poly experiment. It's dropping a drop into a flask. It's one of the ones on the homepage. Any developer can see there's HTML, there's CSS, and there's JavaScript. If you remove the JavaScript side out, then this would no not longer animate at all. It would just be static. You're programming the animational functionally with a function that then calls and it then loops the animation, right? <laughs> this is using SVG. Okay. There's not any HTML. There's not really any CSS styling either. That's all SVG. And then the JavaScript is updating SVG properties. Ah, we should talk about what SVG actually is. Yeah, I think that would be helpful. Because <laughs> I know SVG, it stands for Scalable Vector Graphics. And it's, as far as I know, a good way to just numerically specify a shape and a color. And like that's kind of its most base level what it is. So it's kind of like my SVG 101, but I'm sure you can give a much more eloquent and complete definition there. I like to think of SVG as HTML, but for graphics, it's kind of the easiest way to think of it. You have elements in SVG just the same as you have elements in HTML land, but the elements in SVG will create polygons or they'll create triangles or lines or rectangles. It's basically for drawing, whereas HTML is for documents. That's a good, clean definition. And then it can also do animations as well. So how built out are the animation capabilities I think that it's best to think of SVG as a thing that gets animated, the same as HTML elements get animated. You animate SVG elements. It gets confusing because there was SVG animation. Smill was the built-in SVG animation, but I think it, it was deprecated. I don't think it's deprecated anymore. Like you can still use it, but they're not actively maintaining it. They stopped actively maintaining it to move support over to CSS animation. So you can animate SVG elements with CSS exactly the same as you would HTML elements but you can do more with JavaScript, same as with HTML and CSS. So JavaScript just kind of gives you a little bit more control using a JavaScript animation library. I think the reason why this is also interesting, I want to say hard to explain, hard to understand is that when you look at as a standard, you know, functional programmer, you know, logical, I'm building a back end or a front end of the back end. As you said, your front end of the front end, it's like you basically are making everything look pretty and animated and brings the wow factor. It's that thing. It's like, how does it work? And we've already spoke about that. It's so hard to actually try and explain and understand. In my eyes, it's like, where do you start? Oh, I'll start with CSS animations. What I'm trying to get to is where do you start feeling the barriers? What's the beginner's path into animating anything going from nothing as I've got a standard HTML page and now I've got something completely animated, like your own portfolio website that I think is pretty cool. 
I think if you're animating HTML elements or SVG and you're kind of just starting out with animation, small, simple things like hover animations, if you hover over a button and it changes color, that's a good use case for CSS because you can do that in like one line, you've got hover and then you change the background color and that's it. And you can add a little transition and you can add easing. So you can kind of play with how the transition feels and how long the transition is. And then keyframes are the next step of complexity. So if you've got more than one state change in your animation, you say you're changing the color and then you want it to spin around and then you want it to do something else, you could do that within a keyframe block. And then if you've got multiple elements and you want all of them to have lots of different steps and you want them all to be ordered one after another, then you're going to need a timeline. And then that's what you'd need to lean on JavaScript for. So it's this multi-step process. You don't want to almost jump straight into something like Greensock until you know you need it. But it's that thing, it's like a super powerful tool, but then it can be a little bit overkill if you're just going to hover, change some some CSS, I guess. Because you can do that as well, is my bet. <laughs> so the big thing that I really wanted to cover is we're really sadly, and I say sadly with a caveat, a really React-heavy podcast. And animating and React, they don't seem to go together, unlike view and animations do. Could you try and explain to us why that isn't? We've recently written a series of two articles at Greensock, like a getting started with animation within React and then a kind of more advanced animation with Greensock and React. Because the main issue is that React abstracts everything away from the DOM and you're dealing with just state. That's really good for a lot of things. But when it comes to animation, animation is DOM manipulation. You are <laughs> manipulating the DOM directly. And it can be quite tricky within React because React makes it deliberately hard for you to do that. Whereas with Vue, you've got, you know, unmounted callbacks and you can just directly access the DOM. With like hooks, it's a lot harder. So we've written a couple of articles to help people, but we're also, this is kind of secret still, but I'll let you guys know. <laughs> so we're working on some tooling to help with Greensock and React as well so we're still in like early stages of that but if anyone that's listening is really into react and animation and would like to shape the future of that just get hold of me and i'll be able to give you access to top secret demos and you can give some feedback and when you say tooling to help with that could you describe just a little bit like what exactly that means like how is the tooling helping like what is the tooling doing it's still very, very early stages, but I think that we're trying to solve some kind of frequent animation problems as well as providing a kind of wrapper around Greensock so people will be able to use timelines nice and easily and just general Greensock functionality without kind of having to jump through a lot of React hoops, which is the issue at the moment is that there's a lot of hoops to jump through. So you just have to use timeline, right? Yeah, <laughs> it would be good. So the big reason, like you just said, is that all of the frameworks that basically say no virtual DOM means 
animating with them is super easy because you're just using the actual DOM. But because React abstracts the DOM into this computated list, basically, it's harder to run animations on it because instead of trying to interact with the actual DOM, you're trying to interact with a list. And then the list needs to actually then interact with the real DOM to provide the animations. And if there's like 5,000 animations being triggered because you've got super complicated animation, it starts getting pretty confusing pretty fast. Yeah, definitely. Everything is significantly harder when you're using React. It's a bit of a tricky situation, actually, because I think that a lot of newbies see React as the most popular framework and they see GSAP as the most popular animation library and they think, oh, well, I'll just use those two things and then that will be easy and everything will work. When in actuality, if you're doing a very, very animation heavy site, might not be React that you want to reach for. It might be easier to use like a static site generator potentially and then just focus on the animation. But obviously lots of people are going to use React and already have existing projects. So we kind of want to make it easier for people to use animation within React. And I think there's a lot of like common animation problems that people have with React, like entrance and exit animations and stuff like that. And we think that we can help handle those better. That's kind of what we're working on at the moment. Animations is really interesting problem solution in React. The only really popular animation library that I know of is Frame Motion. I was going to say React Motion. Literally everything called something Motion is something out there. But the one I keep meaning is Frame Motion. To me, it doesn't really seem like it's more animating image or a scene. It's more about animating your layout. They are two different things, right? Why they kind of use the same thing that the goals are completely different in how you would animate it. Yeah, so that's the difference between state changes and timeline based animation. Frame of motion is wonderful and it does like state change animation. And I think it's got spring animations as well, which is really nice. But I think that Greensock is used in a little bit of a different space. Again, because with Greensock, you can animate everything. So people that maybe are building React sites, but also wanting to use 3JS or wanting to use SVG or Canvas or that kind of thing, it would be helpful if we made things a little bit easier for them. Whenever there's a new Apple product out, so many web devs quickly rush to the Apple website and see how they've animated it. If that's scroll locking, if that's moving an iPhone in and out of the frame, and that's then tweaking animations using scroll. Would you say that primarily is more using something like a timeline compared to using something like a more layout manipulating way? Yeah, definitely. We've got a plugin actually called Scroll Trigger. So that is exactly what people would want to be using if they were creating complex animations on scroll. And these animations are amazing. It's that fine balance between, as I was saying, this is an animation for your homepage of your website to look really pretty. And this is an animation on your dashboard. One of the other things I did really want to talk about is accessibility and animations. I don't know much about this myself, but I thought you could probably provide some really good insight into how do you make your animations accessible? How do you make sure that people can access it and enjoy the experience you're building because I've actually seen some of the websites you've built firsthand and they're beautifully crafted as in I'm decent with the web but they just feel like the next level so I wonder how do you keep that fine line between something that's accessible and that looks like animated and unique 
Definitely. It's a really important thing to think about. And I think that as with most things with coding, it's a, it depends is the first thing that you think. <laughs> you kind of have to look at who your website is for. So for example, my blog, that's mine and it's for fun. You can go a bit crazy with the animations. And that was kind of more me experimenting. Whereas you've got maybe different clients that have a user base that has different priorities. So there's some good UX rules for scroll animation. I think one of my favorite ones is don't distract from salient information. So don't distract from what people are trying to read. And I try usually to just animate secondary content. That's like if you've got, say, images that are fading in, or if you've got a little SVG illustrated graphic, but not fading in everything. And I think that was definitely a bit of a trend a while back as you scroll down the page, like everything fades in. And they've actually done user research on that. The Nielsen Norman group did some research and they found out that some users couldn't differentiate between slow loading times and animations. They were looking at very animated sites with lots of entrance animations and they were saying, oh, it's just really slow. It takes ages to load because the average user doesn't understand the difference. Like we think of it as a really obvious difference, but it's not really. A common thing you'll hear is that you want to give the ability to reduce motion or stop motion entirely. So do you build in like escape hatches for your animations or is that something that you leave up to the user's OS? Like where does that come in? I think that in an ideal world, you should manage that on your side, but you should also give an option. So you can check for prefers reduced motion. So media query, you can check for like an operating system preference that people would have on their machine. And then you can choose to reduce animations. But it's also really good to provide a toggle so that if you've got an animated experience and someone doesn't have the operating system preference set, then they can just toggle the animations off. Obviously, that takes extra time and it has to be signed off if you work for an agency by people who are managing your time. So it's always difficult. But I tried to kind of build prefers reduced motion options in from the beginning. That's what you should always do. And then the toggle is like, if you have time to do that, then that's a great additional option. In Greensock world as well. So in JavaScript, you can also check for prefers reduced motion. And then you can either return out of the function that has the animations in or kind of wrap your animations up in like a little if statement. And we've also got match media, which is like a scroll trigger, scroll trigger method. And you can check for prefers reduced motion in that and you can segregate your scroll timeline. So you can create a limited scroll timeline for um, reduced motion and then a kind of more animated one. There's a lot of information there. It's so complicated because you speak about things like, okay, so there's a toggle to stop reduced motion. Where do you toggle it? Well, you need to toggle it in probably JavaScript, but then you need to make sure that the CSS is doing the same thing because there's loads of like extra queries now, isn't there? Like prefer dark mode, prefer light mode. No motion, I think, is one of them as well. As you were saying about working in agency, it's a fine balance of you want to please everyone, but sometimes when people are managing your time, they're not going to think about the less able-bodied. So that's why I think it's great that if the frameworks can make it easier so that it just is built in from the start. We're now starting to see with like light mode and dark mode in a lot of like component libraries, it's just built in so you don't have to worry about it. I think it will go really far. One of the other things that 
I did want to ask about, talk about. You have a little code sandbox of a animation of you. Obviously, it's animated with JSAP. I really want to talk through the steps because I think it's quite easy to just look at that and be really intimidated. Like, how would I do that? In your code sandbox, you have the code. But where do you even start? Do you start in Illustrator or an SVG tool and just design it and then you move it into code to then start animating it? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Starting out in Illustrator, making sure that you name all of your layers and having a plan for how you want to animate it so that you know to group things correctly and label things correctly because otherwise you end up going backwards and forwards quite a lot which can be a a little bit stressful and then yeah then I'd move it into somewhere like code pen or code sandbox and then play around I guess (laughs) if you're not a whiz with Adobe Illustrator straight away you can just animate anything with gas so you could potentially just pull any SVG off the internet and just start animating it if you wanted to yeah Definitely. So you could animate any SVG or HTML or Canvas, as I said, like absolutely anything. You've done quite a few talks. I saw that you're going to be going to San Francisco to do a conference. Do you have any you'd really recommend watching, listening to, to really understand this? Because we've had this conversation, we've tried to explain it all as best as we can. But there will still be things like, how do I do that? What do I do? What do I watch? Where do I get started with it all? If you want to get started with Greensock, I'm currently revamping the Getting Started Guide on the Greensock website. So hopefully in a few weeks time, we'll have a brand shiny new Getting Started article that's kind of agnostic to what you would be using it for. So not necessarily focused on SVG. If you're interested in getting started with SVG animation, I obviously have a a bunch of talks. (laughs) So look up my talks, but also I run a workshop as well. So I, I run a workshop which teaches you absolutely everything that you need to know about animating SVG with both CSS and Greensock. And is that what you would recommend for someone who has literally never done any animation? That's kind of the best like ground zero to start with. Yeah, I definitely recommend it. I, we get a lot of people from lots of different areas. So the last workshop, we had a backend programmer who had never actually used JavaScript before. And we also had an illustrator who had never used JavaScript before. So it was really interesting to kind of watch everyone coming at things from different perspectives and all ending up with wonderful animations at the end of the day. Would you say that the animating on the web is, I wouldn't want to say a dying thing, or would you say it's a thing that still has so much room to grow, it's just not truly caught on yet, if that makes sense? I think you're in a very different world from me, because from what I see, there's lots of animation on the web, and it's becoming more and more popular nowadays. There's so many different ways to animate on the web. It's not necessarily a different world, because I completely agree. But I think my world is so surrounded by functional programming in JavaScript. When you speak to someone who doesn't do functional programming in JavaScript, it's a very different world, like we're saying. And one of our goals for our second year of FS Jam is to be like, let's talk about the other cool things that are happening in the JavaScript world. Let's get people on to talk about Vue and all these other things. And it's great to think about what else JavaScript can do because it's a very strong language. Bound JavaScript. I was curious 
about Svelte, actually, because I know Svelte was created partly for animation specifically because Rich working at the New York Times does lots and lots of graphics work. So where does Svelte come in? Do you have much experience doing like Svelte animation? And am I right that that's like kind of a good optimized framework for that? Yeah, Svelte makes things a lot easier to do animation than React does, definitely. But I mean, I think that people are too, they lean too heavily on frameworks. And I think for a lot of the time, if you are creating a jazzy landing page that's got loads of animations on and stuff, it's a different way of approaching a website. Like you don't necessarily need a framework. You need good tools to help you with animation. You need to have a good understanding of how, say, WebGL or shaders or SVG work, but you don't necessarily need a framework to do that. Vanilla JavaScript can be just enough. And I think a lot of people like me, you know, I'm going to build a landing page website. I know what the best tool is, Next.js, because that's obviously what that was built for, when 11 is supposed to be pretty good. <laughs> it's just that thing, it's like, but what about my React? I'm so used to React. I can't code with a standard HTML anymore. I wouldn't even know where to start. Obviously I do, but you get so used to the tools you're using that I feel like, yeah, we talk about this thing, as you said earlier, of like, GSAP is the most popular animated framework, React is the most popular layout framework, view framework, and people put them together and it just doesn't go well. But there's that thing of like knowing the right tool for the right moment and React, the more I look at it, the more I actually try other things, the more I think this is pretty overkill for a lot of things we're using it for. But when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And I think React, that's the perfect analogy for it is like, I can just do everything in React. As I said, kind of worded my question wrong is like, is this area dying or growing? What I mean is in my mind that we all skip the gun to go to React and now use React for everything. Um, this awesome, cool way of, you know, animating things just kind of got sidelined. And now we're seeing actually, if you pair it with Vue or Svelte, then it shows its potential so much easier, is what I'm actually trying to say. I don't want to seem like I'm dying on anyone's parade. <laughs> I think that you are, you're very right in that I think a lot of boot camps nowadays, they just focus on the kind of more back of the front end side of things. And I think that it is potentially, as is quite a cynical view, but design and animation and interaction and UX and all the more kind of human side of things, they're very feminized. Because of that, they're devalued and people jump over them. And you see in boot camps, people will be like, don't worry about CSS too much. Maybe just study it for a day or two and that will give you the basics. And then you can carry on with, you know, JavaScript frameworks. And people skip over the kind of deep dive into all of these things. Like they don't look deeply into SVG. They don't look deeply into CSS. They don't look deeply into animation libraries and interactions and stuff. And that's the craft side of it. You mentioned that word when you were talking about my website, which is lovely because that's what I aim to do is make websites feel a little bit more human and a bit more crafted. And my website isn't using any big JavaScript frameworks. People have asked me, what framework are you using for that? And I'm like, I'm not. <laughs> it's just vanilla JavaScript. <laughs> I was getting lots of flashbacks of my own bootcamp experience throughout the course of this conversation because 
you're 100% right that we spent about a week on HTML and then like two weeks on CSS and then, you know, nine months on JavaScript and, and React and all that stuff. And for me, I really was like struggling a lot in my bootcamp just to get anything to work at all. So I know that I did very much skip over any of the visual aesthetic stuff, any of the craft, any of the more human element of it. Because I was like, my website is broken. I can't even click a button and make it do the thing I wanted to do. But now as I've gotten more experience and I've gotten better at the back of the front end and I can make websites that function, now it's like I don't have an excuse anymore. I can't say, you know, uh, I still need to like learn all this other stuff. So I think you eventually get to a point where if you want to be able to create a website that is holistic and that is human and expresses the things you want to actually express, you can't just think about the functionality. You need to think about all these other other higher level things. And this podcast, we've even been guilty of not focusing very much on the front of the front end. And this is why we've wanted to bring people on who are experts in this. So we very much appreciate your expertise here. I I learned so much in this conversation and really appreciate getting to learn about these aspects of the stack that we have neglected through the show. I want to hold up my hand and say that before I was a JavaScript developer, I worked at an agency and I was a PHP developer. And I remember doing some animation in PHP. There was nothing wrong with it. I enjoyed it. But I think the biggest problem that I see right now in terms of we've not really realized it yet, but we're seeing it is that everything we're building is also functional that it's so clinical. For example, we look at things like Tailwind UI, Chakra UI, you know, these are amazing things, you know, a button, a landing page, a thing, but it's so, and I hate to say the word clinical as in like everything looks the same. I still think there's a hundred percent places and there'll forever be places of agencies, you know, that really make bespoke websites because as you know there's so much thought that goes into it when I worked in an agency I didn't just load up a component library and just chuck every component on the page and chuck the text in the designs came to me as an illustrator file you'd pull out all the svgs and stuff that you needed for the website you'd place them on the page this was like five years ago and probably everyone uses framer now and no longer illustrator but I think there's still 100% a place for that And I think we kind of, like I said, skip the gun by going with React for everything that this artistry kind of feels like it's been lost for a bit. And I feel like it's definitely been lost on me. I've completely forgot how to make beautiful websites. Like, for example, I always want my own company to have like the most beautifulest website ever. And I think I can make the most beautifulest website ever. And then I think, I don't think I have the creative capability anymore to think outside the box to craft such a website anymore because I'm too deep into it because it's much more about art to me than I think about functional web design as in it is art at the end of the day, but a different form of it. Definitely. I think hopefully what we'll be able to do by making GSEP a bit more accessible in a React world is open that up for other people. I can't wait. I really need to give some of these demos a go because I really want to get into it and relearn it because it's such a cool thing. To me, it's one of them last things on the internet that truly wows me. Hardly anything truly wows me on the internet anymore. I've seen Node running the browser now. That's not wow. (laughs) But animations is still like, there's craft to it. And I really respect it. I think that's it. Where can our 
listeners find you, get hold of you, get the links to the workshop, for example? So I'm Cassie Codes pretty much everywhere. And you can find my website at Cassie.codes on Twitter. I'm Cassie Codes. Yeah. And I've just remembered, you also have done some live streams with Front End Horse. We've had Alex on the show quite recently. We'll make sure we have links to them as well. Yeah, definitely. He's a good lad. Front End Horse is wonderful. I think that he's doing a lot for creative coding and like web animation, leaning into the front of the front end space. Yeah, I think that's everything. Awesome. happy anthony yeah oh yeah no that was great by the way you keep saying this term skip the gun the expression is jump the gun (laughs) skip the gun (laughs) wow what can i say you said it like three or four times on different episodes (laughs) look it's probably like a local colloquialism to where i'm from and i've never noticed it or something because that happens you know like uh